Hello and welcome to another episode of Hope, a podcast created to inspire listeners everywhere with weekly American stories and personal testimonies from our wide range of guests. I'm your host, Danny Daniel, and thank you for listening. Today you're going to hear from an exciting guest, Thomas Busey. Thomas is a graduate of the University of Georgia and executive director of Georgia Retailers. Hello, Thomas. Danny Daniel here. How you doing? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? Well, I'm pleased to have you on the other side of this uh, interview and because uh, you've got a lot to tell and uh, it's going to be interesting to our listeners, I'm sure. Uh, sure. So I'm happy to be here. Let's start out with uh, a little bit of your back uh, story, how you got to the University of Georgia as opposed to any other school. Did, did you grow up in Athens, I guess? I grew up just outside of Athens in Madison County. Uh, my family's been in the Athens area for quite a quite a long time. So the uni- University of Georgia was always where I wanted to go. What uh, what courses did you take? Or what did you major in over there? I majored in political science with a minor in anthropology. You know, that's where I kind of flubbed the dub a little bit. I, I was a state representative down in Augusta for about uh, four years, but I flunked uh, political science. <laughs> <laughs> So. Well, that's okay. I, I used to, uh, in, in one of my jobs before I have the job I have now, um, was doing government affairs and advocacy for the American Chemistry Council, which represents chemical manufacturing, but I failed high school chemistry. So I, I understand. Yeah, well, it, it works that way sometimes. It just kind of gives you a proven ground more than anything else. Yes, uh, sir. All right. You uh, graduated from University of Georgia and went to work directly in the lobbying field or with somebody else? Well, I graduated from UGA in December of 2008, and uh, I had just gotten married in June of uh, 2008. And I'm sure that you can recall it was just a great time to go out and start looking for your first job um, during the the recession, as I say tongue-in-cheek. But um, I had some really good opportunities that were provided to me. I I was given a lead on an internship by Dr. Bullock at UGA um, with another UGA alum. Um, and did that for the 2009 session of General Assembly, then worked for Congressman Tom Price in his district office, um, mainly doing scheduling and constituent services and things of that nature. Um, and then after that, worked for the American Chemistry Council for, uh, for about six or seven years and worked for the Georgia retailers since then. Let me ask you, uh, again, I was in the General Assembly for four years back in the dark ages, uh, but uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I just thought it was a great experience. Uh, met so many people. There's so many legislators who haven't died or <laughs> still, <laughs> still around that uh, I enjoy seeing. But how did you uh, fare there with the Georgia legislature? Did you find it difficult or uh, or, or what? Well, I, I, I think it's, I don't find it difficult. It, it has moments of difficulty um, as, as anything involving public opinion does. But I find it very enjoyable. I find uh, I find what I do and I find working with the legislature that we have in this state uh, very enjoyable and rewarding. Um, it's not like D.C. where someone has an idea and then 10 years later they're still talking about the idea. When there's an idea that you're working on with members of the General Assembly, uh, it's going to get done. And it's probably going to get done in a matter of weeks. So things move fast. I, I enjoy that. and It benefits directly everybody in the state of Georgia. Now, how are you drawn to the uh, Georgia Retailers Association uh, as opposed to some other organization you could have represented? Uh, with this one, it's one, it kind of got me off the road. When I was with the Chemistry Council, I was covering the Southeast um, with a coworker of mine, and I was always, you know, flying Delta jets 
and staying in hotels. Uh, and at the time, I had a one-year-old son, and Georgia's the only state that I particularly care about anyway and just wanted to get back. The opportunity was there to work for an industry that is so forward-facing and so ubiquitous. Like you get a lot of times where you know, folks advocate on behalf of an industry or, uh, you know, a line of work and people don't really know about it. You know, it's, it's pretty obscure. Everybody knows a retail store. We're, we're where you get your food, your clothes and your medicine. And, and we're happy, happy to provide those services. Well, you know, retail's had a little bit of a bump, <laughs> you might say, in the last six months, as everything else has, uh, with a lot of stores closing. And I never thought that Macy's and Athens would ever close, uh, but they are. And uh-huh. so is Penny's. Uh, I guess they consolidate their efforts down into the, some of the more profitable stores. Is that what happens? I think what you're seeing uh, right now is kind of an, an evolution. Um, you have some folks during this that have gone more online. They've uh, kind of adapted to the new way of doing things. Um, and some folks may have been slower on doing that and shoveling around resources. Um, but I, I'd say you're seeing an, an evolution really, of, of how folks are going about doing business going forward. Well, now, what do you do with these great big buildings, these huge buildings that they had? Uh, are there leases out usually in the shopping centers? Uh, they do. Uh, I, I think shopping malls themselves, it really depends on where they're located, but have kind of been on a bit of a decline over the past 10, 20 years. Um, but you see things that are evolving, um, some of them across the, the country, some of them never get filled, but some of them will turn into college campuses. Some of them will come into stores. Some of them turn into movie studios. Uh, it's it's really interesting, you know, how folks meet that moment of when they have to change what they're doing. Well, unfortunately, I've never been able to understand retail at all because if you walk in a store and if all the shelves aren't completely full, you're not happy. You know, you think, what kind of store is this? But then right. somebody's got to sell something sometime, and somebody's got to right. re- restock that stuff. That's right. Uh, oh, real, we we restock all the time. I mean, we've got to keep, uh, you know, just, just like you said, it's it's about keeping the customer happy. It's we're very at the mercy of our customers and what they expect. It doesn't matter what kind of store you you have. Um, but I think all of our folks pride themselves on, you know, it, it, it's twenty twenty. You can go on a computer and get anything that you want. Um, so that's for your local retailers and your brick and mortar retailers. That's a Real, real strong uh, motivation to have as much of what a customer could want on hand at any given time. Well, just to ask Amazon. I've never seen That's anything right. like them. You know, we only had UPS and FedEx and the mail service. Now Amazon is really moving up the ladder, aren't they? It is. But, I mean, if you think about it and you talk about, you know, some of the companies that may not be doing as well as they historically were, if you go back 30 years, you know, what was the Amazon of the time? That was Sears. That catalog would come to your house and it had everything that could be made in it. And, and you would order what you wanted from there. So I think it's just an evolution of what people have always done. Well, we've always found a way to survive too, don't we? Uh, That's right. What basically would you say that you project yourself as trying to lobby for the retailers in, uh, in Atlanta? I mean, are you, you trying to do certain things or just trying to keep somebody from getting in their pocket or what? I think what we we advocate for retailers all over the state, um, big and small, you know, big box stores like Walmart, Home Depot, you know, those folks that are everywhere now, down to small mom and pop furniture stores, uh, independently owned Ace Hardware stores. You know, we want everybody in the retail space to do well. And so what we're trying to do is, you know, we work on things that uh, make the playing field level. 
make it fair. I mean, if you look at uh, recent law that we helped uh, along with uh, Chairman Brett Harrell, the Ways and Means Committee, uh, who was a real champion on this, uh, making sure that online retailers are paying their fair share of sales tax and, and making sure the state of Georgia has that as that grows. You know, it's, it's something that was giving them an automatic at least six percent advantage over stores in your community and that money doesn't go back to fund schools then if it doesn't get paid it doesn't go back to help the communities and making sure that that there was parity there that's an example of kind of the things that we do well that makes good sense and i i know that the state of georgia appreciates your efforts in that arena (laughs) (laughs) it's it's been it's been an uh, an adventure it's been an adventure but now when did you when did you go in the navy i want to hear a little bit more about that sure uh so i I guess I grew up in Madison County, just north of Athens. Um, I graduated high school in June of 2001. And at the time, I was a terrible student. Uh, I had horrible grades. I didn't know I was going to graduate high school until about a day or two before I graduated high school. My dad still gives me a lot of, uh, you know, ribbon about that. Uh, but I knew I wasn't going to go to college. That wasn't in the cards uh, for me. And I kind of took a step back and I was always fascinated by the military my my dad was in the navy um so i decided you know that let's do that i'm young i'm 18 it's four years it'll pay for college and maybe it'll help me out and it did uh tremendously i reported to u.s navy gunnery a school in great lakes illinois on september 11 2001 so i graduated boot camp mm. and reported to my a school on september 11th so I kind of went in with the attitude of we're going to do this for four years. We're going to travel the world. We're going to have a great time. We're going to get money for college. And then we're going to bounce out and just go on about life. That was a little, that got changed a little bit. Uh, <laughs> things got a little bit. You don't uh, mean, different. you don't mean they wanted you longer, right? No, it's just, uh, we kind of went from that first couple of months. It was just, everything was kind of a little laid back to, uh, everything was no longer laid back and everything kind of took on a more serious tone of you know, going about your, your schooling for your job. And mom was a, that's, I was a gunner's mate and, and got out in 2005 as a second class gunner's mate. Most of my time spent on Spruance class destroyers. Um, so did that, um, found myself, I cross trained as a, another job that normally belongs to a fire controlman which is a launch control operator on a Tomahawk missile battery. And, you know, the world just seems, it sometimes seems to put you in places at times. And so in 2003, I was on my first deployment on the USS Fletcher and was actually shooting missiles into Iraq on the first night of Operation Iraqi Freedom. And wait so, a minute, hold on. That, that wasn't in the plan. No, no, that was none, none of this. No, the plan, you know, if you want to hear God laugh, tell them your plan. The plan got thrown out the window. Um, so I did that first deployment, uh, went back to the to San Diego was my home port for six months, went back and did another six month deployment on the same ship um, and, and spent came back. We decommissioned the USS Fletcher and uh, spent my last nine months on the USS Cleveland, um, just getting them ready to go again. Uh, or go out. They were just leaving a yard period before I got out of the Navy um, and went to school. Well, when you say gunner, I'm going to be dumb here for a minute. Uh, that means you you actually operated some of the big guns on the ship? Yeah, so a gunner's mate is uh, it's a job. 
Uh, it's a rating unit in the Navy. We don't have MOSs. Um, we have rates. It kind of describes your job. Anything from a bosun mate, quartermaster, everybody does different things. So a gunner's mate can do anything from the the smallest nine millimeter pistol all the way up to tomahawk missiles. I believe torpedoes are now uh, you know 2020 rolled into that. Um, so it really covers everything. It just depends on what your training is. And on a destroyer, you usually have two groups of guys. One guys, one group of guys deals with the uh, the five inch guns and most of the armory stuff. And then you got the missile gunners mates that maintain the tomahawk batteries and and that kind of stuff. So that's uh that's what a gunner's mate generally does you also do the uh, force protection for the ship while it's underway or while it's in port and and train folks on on how to do that uh, it's pretty interesting pretty interesting gig well uh i've got a note down here that said you graduated from college at a very interesting time uh what does that mean uh, well that was in the the recession just in in 2008 so in kind of my journey I guess, which is it's hard to sit here and talk about yourself, but I'll do my best. Um, getting out of the Navy and going to college. So I was 22 and I found myself sitting there with 18 year olds um, who there's not that much difference in our ages, but it, I guess I just felt kind of older than most. I, I remember I had an 8 a.m. Latin class at Georgia and I'm sitting next to this this young man yeah, man, he was 18, I was 22, but he was complaining. He's complaining like, man, we got to be here at eight o'clock. Man, this is ridiculous. It's four days a week. I should never pick this class. And I just remember kind of looking at him and going, man, it's eight o'clock in the morning. Like in my previous life that I had just left, I would have be halfway through my day by then. And I was like, all we got to do, man, is show up here at eight. Listen to this guy. Remember what he says. In a couple of weeks, he's going to ask us to tell him what he said. And then we go on about our day. This is this is not hard stuff. So I think the Navy, if I could say that that was a defining way of how I conduct myself in my life, it's, it, it's true. Um, it, it gave me discipline, gave me strength. Uh, it gave me an ability to not panic. Um, it doesn't matter how bad your situation is. So going to graduation, you know, it's probably the worst job market in since before World War II in the housing crisis and all my folks, uh, all my friends, you know, everyone's just looking for work and work is real hard to find. A lot of folks ended up going to law school or pursuing, pursuing different graduate school routes. Um, I just got married. I, I needed to go make some money and, and find a job, but I was never really panicky about it. Um, you know, it, you just know that things are never as good as they seem. They're never as bad as they seem. So, well, how, just, how did you keep a, a positive attitude in one of the worst job markets there's ever been? Something's going to break loose. If you do everything that you, you just have to have hope that something's going to break loose. Um, it may not be exactly what you want, but it's going to be something that you can use to get what you want. And I think a lot of people get so hung up on what they want that they don't really appreciate the opportunities that they're going to get. If that makes any sense. Uh, you know, you, you have in your mind of what you want to do, what you want to do, what you want to do. Well, the the world doesn't work like that. So you got to take the opportunities that you're given and make the most out of them. I've been fortunate to have some really good opportunities, but not all of them were what I thought, you know, what I wanted um, until I got in there and realized, oh, yeah, this is good. I, I can want this. Well, if you, that makes any sense at all. You, you had a real incentive. It's called a new wife. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh, right. Um, 
And, and exactly. it look, looks like to me that you had a whole bunch of hope in your background. Uh, gosh, it started just, you just hoped that you graduated from high school. That's where right. you started your hope. And then you hope that you get in the Navy and hope that you could uh, graduate from the University of Georgia and hope that you could get a job. So, well, it's, hard, it, it, it's the hope and that things will work out. But a lot of that turns into, I think, you got to believe in yourself. I mean, without being cocky or arrogant about it, but and it's especially when things don't go right. you got to believe in yourself and what you're doing. And, you know, it's, it's kind of, if you do that, if you're doing everything that you can do, and you're doing it with the right attitude, like I said, people are going to notice that something's going to break loose and, and you're going to be given an opportunity. And, and as I was talking to your producer before this, um, a couple of weeks ago, it's waiting for the opportunity. And it's, it's like the story of Dixie cups. Everybody knows what Dixie cups are, right? Right. I mean, little paper cups. Right. Well, that company started in the early 1900s and wasn't really successful. I mean, it, it made some inroads and it was touting itself as like, you know, it was the hygienic cup, the hygienic cup. It wasn't until the Spanish flu epidemic of 1918 that it really took off as a household name. So you had these these folks at that company that were doing everything right, doing everything right, just doing their business, probably not as successful as they thought it was going to be until they got an opportunity. And I don't think it was an opportunity that anybody wanted. So if you look at what we're, which is the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic. So if you look at what we're dealing with now, you know, there's opportunity out there. You just got to keep doing, doing the right thing and, and it'll, it'll be there. Well, I think that means staying true to yourself. Uh, yes, sir. trying to do some analysis of yourself. Uh, it might need some knee pads to do that. Uh, yes, sir. that, uh, what does the big man up there want you to do? What did he put you here for? What's your purpose? And until you've analyzed all that, uh, it probably won't come out the way you want it to. Uh, but I, I think the real thing that you have done is you've shown up, you know, you just, yes, sir. you just show up where you need to be and you give it your best. And it seems to, to work out for you. I, I'm, uh, that's half the battle. And, and in addition to that, uh, I've got a five-year-old son. And lately, you know, I, I've noticed that he would get frustrated about things, especially things that, you know, don't come easy, especially things that, like, you know, he may have messed up trying to do. And he's like, oh, I don't want to do it because I can't do it. Now, you can do it. You got to show up. But you also can't be afraid of failure. And having to have a conversation with him, you know, he's a five-year-old boy. He thinks mom and dad are perfect and we don't ever do anything wrong. I have to say, no, no, I mess stuff up all the time, but you can't be scared of that. You just do the best you can. And if it doesn't work out, if you fail, try it again. Well, some people say that, that failure is one step towards uh, success. That's uh, correct. I think it was maybe Teddy Roosevelt or somebody. Said, the only time you fail is when you don't get back up. Oh, I thought I was the one that made that up. It was. I'm sorry. I, 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 I misquoted that. Mistaken. My bad. As I, <laughs> that that is fantastic. I, uh, you know, here's some quotes from you. Uh, you mentioned how reputation is everything in your line of work. Explain what that means to me. Reputation. What that means? Well, I'll tell you what it means to me. And it was when I was an intern in 2009. Uh, there's a lot of. And of course, when we're talking about chair, we'll, we'll put him in this classification. There's a lot of elder statesmen uh, in, in the lobbying business in Georgia. And that trip would most definitely be in there. But they've got their guys that have been doing this a long time. 
I'm not going to tell him you said he was an elder statesman. <laughs> distinguished. Distinguished. distinguished uh, and uh, when I was an intern, I, I just remember talking to an older gentleman uh, who was a lobbyist at the time and had been doing it for decades. And just kind of, I get there early in the morning. I've always kind of gotten there early in the morning, drink coffee, and you can kind of you know, get some work done before it gets too busy. But just talking with him, and it was, you know, in this line of work, you can have all the friends that you think you have in the world, but the only thing that you have is your name. And if you mess that up, you're, you're, persona, you're persona non grata. Uh, you, it's honesty. It's, uh, you, you represent who you represent down there, whether it's an industry or a client or a nonprofit or, or, or whomever you're providing advocacy for. But if people don't trust you, if they don't know that you're going to deal with them squarely and, and honestly and fairly, then they won't have anything to do with you. And if that happens, then you just you, you can't do this job and, and have that. So you always be honest, whether if it's something that you don't want somebody to hear, um, people have to be able to, to trust you. And, and I think that in this line of work that I'm in, which lobbying or government affairs or advocacy or, or what have you it sometimes gets a, a bad rap um, in, in the public. But what we are, what I do is really just provide education. I mean, especially here in Georgia, we've got a great legislature I and mean, Republicans and Democrats. It takes a special person, uh, as you well know, to self-select, to go out down there and do that job as an elected official. I, I don't think I could do it, but they are, a part-time legislature. They're individuals with just an amazing diversity of backgrounds and what they do for a living or where they come from. And so they don't know everything about everything. So when they're making these decisions on possible statutes, I think it's the main job that we provide is just let them know, okay, so you're thinking about doing this. Well, this is how that's going to positively affect, say, the retail industry or negatively affect the retail industry, some unintended consequences that you may not have thought of, um, and basically just have a seat at the table to advocate on behalf of, of your members or your clients or your organization. And, and that's kind of what, you know, what we do. Um, and and you, you make a lot of really good friends doing that. Well, I guess you make a few enemies too, but uh, well, I mean, that's, that's mo true. mostly that's true. friends, but I, I agree with you that, that your name is everything. Yes, sir. You know, and how it's perceived out in the public uh, is absolutely everything. And you can't get that from somebody else. You have to pro project that from yourself. Uh, yes, sir. But, and, it, and, it's, and that doesn't hold true. I mean, that's not just for this or elected officials. I mean, I, I think that's for all of us. It, it uh, is. You know, no matter what you do. Well, and I, I distinctly remember, and I, I got to ask this question. It, when I was up there, uh, which is 100 years ago, but the, the principles were all the same, the they got the same basically number of legislators and, and the same number of bills that go through every year and all this sort of thing. But it was impossible, that's the right word, that a, uh, a legislator, whether it's a senator or a representative, could read every single page of every single bill. Impossible. Right. Uh, so somebody had to feed through those things a little bit and says, all right, uh, John, uh, this is good. Uh, Jim, what do you think? I think it's all right. You know, so you guys have got to study the bill somewhat and you, you couldn't do that by yourself. Could you, don't you have some readers? Uh, 
No, uh, for me personally, I've been doing this long enough. Every bill that gets introduced, of course, you see it every morning. They have, you know, the first readers, which is the title of the bill, the bill number, a couple of sentences on generally what the bill does. Um, so what I do is sit down every morning that the legislature is in session with a cup of coffee. I skim through that and I basically mark off the ones that I know that maybe because of where they are in the Georgia code, it's probably not going to pertain to us or, it, you know, man, I know that doesn't matter to us. You know, no, I doesn't matter about renaming a license plate, but I, I'll scan them and see certain keywords. And then I'll go back and, and deep read oh, maybe 10 to 20% of the bills that get introduced. Um, but you're, you're right. It's not just yourself. I may see something through my kind of daily study that while it may not pertain to me, I have a friend uh, that does something, you know, re- maybe represents an entirely different industry or has an entire, entirely different client. And I'll send it to them and say, I just want to make sure you saw that. And people do that to me too. And you build little coalitions of, you know, this may be important to the retailers and it also may be important to another industry and another industry. And so you'll bind together and try to figure it out. And so that, and it, the, the same kind of partnership, though, those groups, you may be against them on another bill, but you got to work together on this one bill. So it's well, a flexibility I, and not taking things personally, which is something I think that we've gotten kind of a little bit away from in this country. We, we all take things so personally now. Well, we're getting towards the end of our uh interview here but i did want to find out from you is uh how many uh challenges throughout your life uh have allowed you to stay hopeful other than the ones we've already mentioned there's been many i mean i think everybody has those um and it's not that i don't think it's the challenges that make you stay hopeful you know it's like um it's like the george game this past weekend uh you, you need to do, I think we all need to do a good job of nurturing the hope because when, once we get into the challenges, that's where we need it. Um, and if you, and if you're looking around for it, when the game starts, it may not be there. So I think it's preparing yourself, knowing that, you know, a, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. So know the challenges are going to come. Um, and, if you lose hope, you lose everything. So just nurture that hope when times are good. That way, when times are bad, you, you have it in stock. Well, we need to put you in our website. You got that hope down pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, hope hope paid for my college. So after that, you know, it was it was all good. <laughs> there, there you go. Well, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you coming on board with us today. Uh, you've done a great job in talking about a lot of different things that I think would be interesting to our listeners. And I just hope that you uh, continue to do well with the retailers and have a good session next year. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's, it's been a, a really, really neat opportunity. Um, when I first got, got the call, I didn't know what to expect. But um, thank you for doing this. Thank you for spreading hope and, and shining the light on people that can hopefully get that message out. Well, I appreciate that. And if you know somebody that has a good story uh, other than yours, uh, send them our way. We'd be glad to get them out there. We'll do it, Mr. Daniel. We've heard an amazing story from Thomas Busey. Thank you to all of our listeners. Remember to go to our website, thedannydanielshow.com, to submit your story if you have one to tell. Come back next week for more episodes. Thank you for listening. This episode, recorded at Vega Studios, was produced by Mariah Rose. Also remember to follow us on social media. 
We will be posting our episodes on our Facebook page along with the website. Stay in touch with us and spread the word. It's all about hope. But before we go, I wanted to remind the listeners that I'm a huge supporter of the UGA Miracle, which is the largest student-run organization at the University of Georgia that raises money for children's health care of Atlanta. They raise over a million dollars a year, and you can be a part of that. Just go to ugamiracle.org, and you can donate. Remember, any amount given is a step closer to saving a child's life.